Heavenly Father, we come before you on your beautiful Sabbath day. We give thanks for the, the breath in our lungs, Father, the fellowship that we have here on your beautiful Sabbath. We thank you for the warmer weather. We thank you for the blessings you pour out upon us, Father. We don't want to take anything for granted that you give for us, Father, because there's so much to be thankful for. And we just pour out our thanks to you now, Father, and we pray that you just be with me as I give this message, that your people can receive something from it, that it can prick the hearts of those who are hearing, and that they can live a better life because of it. And I pray and ask all these things in Yahshua's name. Hallelujah. So, after a bit of a hiatus, <laughs> a bit of a hiatus, I'm back to uh, the Minor Prophets. It's, uh, they're not very long, so if I'm trying to laser focus on them, it takes, uh, takes a little bit of doing to come up with a message for, for each one. Not that there's not something substantial in each one. There definitely is. They wouldn't be in the Bible if there wasn't something substantial in them. So today, I'm going to be addressing Malachi. And, you know, when I think of Malachi, I always think of people, you know, we, always, we talk about Malachi actually in this ministry quite a bit. We talk about, you know, you know robbing Yahweh of tithes and offerings, and like if you give your due, give Yahweh his due, the windows of heaven will open up. And we, so we talk about Malachi a lot, but what I didn't realize is that there was a lot more to this book. And the format of these minor prophets' sermons are a little bit more verse by verse because they're not that long. And so I try to touch on everything as best I can. In this little book, four chapters long, we have wicked and lazy worshipers, priests, broken covenants, and forgiveness and renewal, all in four chapters, and none of them are very long. And I'm going to read through most of every verse. I might skip over a few verses just to kind of keep it reasonably in length, reasonable length. So in chapter one, we start. And it, it, it starts off hot and heavy right off the bat. So Malachi, you know, Malak is messenger. And there's a little bit of, a, the irony is not lost on me on that name. But uh, it, Malachi, he didn't pull any punches with these people. So in chapter 1, verse 1 through 6, the burden of the word of Yahweh to Israel by Malachi, I have loved you says Yahweh. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says Yahweh? Yet Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. And I have laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, they may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness, and the people against whom Yahweh will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see, and you shall say, Yahweh is magnified beyond the border of Israel. So, Yahweh makes it pretty clear right here that he is absolutely set against Esau, against Edom. If Yahweh tears down Esau, and Esau decides, well, I'm just going to put it back together... Yahweh was going to tear it down again. Yahweh says here that he will be enraged with them forever. Now that is not somewhere I want to find myself. Yahweh's in charge here is essentially what Yahweh is, what he's explaining. He's like, look, if I tell you you're done, you're done. Just be done. (laughs) 
if you, if you try to worm your way out of it, it's, you're going to go through it all again. So starting in verse 6, we see something interesting. So, you know, Scripture is full of these, you know, the, the wicked nations, the wicked, you know, wicked people. It's a little less frequent that we see Yahweh laser focusing on somebody who's supposedly in, a, in an office that is, for the most part, considered righteous. In verse 6, Malachi, delivering the message of Yahweh, turns to the priests. In verses 6 through 8, says, A son honors his father, a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says Yahweh of hosts to you priests who despise my name. That's key, despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You got to love this. You know when you, you confront a child who's done something wrong and you say, I know you did this. Well, what do you mean? I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean I did this? I, was, I wasn't mean to my brother. I didn't do that. What are you talking about? It's, it's kind of silly when you put it in context of who's talking to who here. But anyway, so the priests, in what way have we despised your name? You offered defiled blood on my altar. But say, well, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of Yahweh is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says Yahweh of hosts? So it's, kind of, it's actually kind of funny. You've got these people who are offering blind and lame sacrifices to Yahweh. He's saying, you know, you, do, you don't honor me. You hate my name. And you're showing that. You're proving that by these horrible subpar sacrifices that you're giving me. And as priests, they, need to, they should know better. And what's more is that it says these priests hate Yahweh's name. And, of course, they play dumb. And they ask, well, what do you mean? I don't, I don't hate your name. We gave you an offering, didn't we? But it was blind or lame or something like that. These shoddy offerings they're bringing give absolutely no honor to Yahweh at all. And they know better. They know the standards that Yahweh has set in his word, and they've ignored them. And they've brought Yahweh's name to nothing. While their words might not reflect it, their actions did. I mean, it's kind of like what the Pharisees were doing. They were preaching the right thing, but they were living the wrong way. They didn't respect or love Yahweh's name. You know, like, for example, and I'm not tooting our own horn here, or this applies to pretty much any other assembly out there. Generally speaking, it's a careful selection of things. Like, if somebody wants to present an offering, generally speaking, it's, it's pretty well vetted before something is, is offered because you don't want to give a bad offering. You know, and, you know, obviously opinions vary, but for the most part, it's just like... It, we try our best not to have a blind or lame offering offered to Yahweh up here. He asks, if a son honors his father and a servant his master, and where's his honor? They offer polluted offerings and defiled food, and they've defiled the table of Yahweh. They offer blind, the lame, and the sick upon the altar. Yahweh calls this evil. And then he even asks him, bring it to your governor. See if he would accept this garbage. I mean, imagine that. I mean, if you've, back then they were offering food, but think about it. You, you would, this is something you wouldn't give to a, to a worldly politician, <laughs> essentially. 
You wouldn't give this to somebody. You wouldn't, it wasn't suitable even for regular consumption outside the temple or outside of Yahweh's service. Yahweh says in verse 9, But now entreat Elohim's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably? So here they are. They're bringing these contemptible subpar offerings to Yahweh. And they're doing it because they want to earn his favor. They're asking for Yahweh to be gracious to them while essentially grabbing the trash bag and handing it up to him. Will he accept that as favorable? I don't think so. And I think that's really what Yahweh's trying to tell these priests. These people were way out of line. Way out of line. Yahweh goes on, and this might be my favorite verse out of the entire book. It's so good. He goes on venting his frustration in verse 10. And I really like how the English Standard Version puts it, so I'm going to read out the English Standard Version for this. And it states, Oh, that there were one among you who has shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says Yahweh of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. I read this in a couple different verses, but it's actually quite telling. Yahweh is telling these people, quite humorously, I think, isn't there someone who can just shut the doors to the temple to keep you people out so he doesn't have to deal with this anymore? Close it down so I don't have to deal with these offerings. I don't want anything that you've got to offer right now. Can't you just lock the door? Somebody lock it and throw away the key. I'm done. It kind of reminds me of, verse, uh, of a verse in 2 Samuel. And it's in uh, 2 Samuel 15.22. I have it on the, on the slide here. And Samuel said, Has Yahweh a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of Yahweh? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. So rather than give, obviously giving adequate offerings is following Yahweh's word. But beyond that, just obedience. Just do what you're told and then... You know, if you don't have a reason to give a sin offering, that's even better. That's even better than giving a sin offering. It would be better for these people to simply stop making offerings to Yahweh as they are an insult to him and his honor. Every time, I mean, think about it. If Israel in the, in the wilderness, they had the tabernacle set up, and imagine that they brought these sick and weak, and this is a mixed multitude, you know, we're to give Yahweh's name glory and honor and reverence. And if you have someone from the outside coming in, they see us offering these sick and these lame and blind animals or whatever it is. Or if up here we give a subpar offering to Yahweh, that is, that's dragging his name through the mud. And it's something that we should be very cognizant of and very careful of. Because we, we talk about giving Yahweh's name honor and glory and showing it to the world. And, and I think we do. But I also think that it's always something to be at the back of your mind that make sure, be doubly sure. And if you're not sure, check with someone else. Iron sharpens iron. If you don't know, ask somebody. That's what we're all here for. And this is emphasized, all of this is emphasized again even more in verses 11 through 14 of Malachi 1. From the rising of the sun till it's going down, my name shall be great among the nations. And everywhere incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure food offering, for my name shall be great among the nations, says Yahweh of hosts. But you are profaning it when you say, the table of Yahweh is polluted, and its fruit, his food is to be despicable. Pause for just one second. 
It's not that they are just offering bad sacrifices. They are saying it is supposed to be. This is what you're supposed to give Yahweh. It's not like they were... It's, I know they say never... Uh, what is it? Never mistake something like incompetence for maliciousness. I think that's swapped here. I don't think this is incompetence. These people knew exactly what they were doing. They were telling people... His food is to be despicable. And you have said, behold, what weariness. And you have sniffed at it, or scoffed at it, says Yahweh of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. And you bring a grain offering. Should I accept it from your hand, says Yahweh. And then verse 14. But cursed be a deceiver. And there is a male in his flock, and he vows it but sacrifices a blemished one to Yahweh. For I am a great king, says Yahweh of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. So here, beyond the sick and the lame, you have the stolen. They're bringing stolen offerings and sacrificing them to Yahweh. And then, take it a step even further. You have somebody who says, Yahweh, I promise I'm going to give you this offering. And then he sneaks around and brings a blemished one to him. I mean, it's just sickening. It's absolutely sickening what these people were doing. And the priests were responsible for it. They were telling them that's how it is to be done. I mean, how far out of whack do you have to be for that to be the case? Yahweh really hammers his frustration home in the last few verses. In verse 11, Yahweh is explaining that he gets pure offerings. And now this, is, this, is, this blew my mind when I read it. He gets pure offerings that he accepts from the Gentile nations all over the world. There are people who are, they may not even be as far along in our walk as we are, but they are doing righteousness. They are living a righteous life, and Yahweh accepts pure offerings from these people. These offerings bring honor and respect to Yahweh and his name. And this this harmonizes very nicely with the New Testament. Actually, in Acts 10, 34 through 35, really makes it clear that this has always been the case. It's not about who's offering the sacrifice. It's never been about that. It's, always, or it's not about the sacrifice. It's about who's offering it. And he wants good, clean people to do it. Acts 10, 30. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works for righteousness is accepted by him. This rings true all the way back here in Malachi. Yahweh doesn't care who you are as long as you're obedient and you're bringing honor to his name. The nations, a.k.a. the Gentiles, are the nations outside of Israel, and they were bringing pure and worthy sacrifices and offerings to Yahweh. But not Israel. Yahweh says they have profaned the table of Yahweh. They were bringing stolen, already dead, blind, lame, and other just worthless offerings that desecrate the table of Yahweh. And there were those giving, obviously giving that vow, offering, promising Yahweh a vow, uh, an offering, and then they bring something completely different or unacceptable. Yahweh doesn't tolerate. He won't tolerate. That's why he sent Malachi. So in chapter 1, we see Malachi delivering this message to these corrupt and wicked priests and the people who were going along with it. What about chapter 2? Does it get any better for these people? No. <laughs> Spoiler alert, no. After Yahweh's done setting these priests straight, he goes on to explain what he's, what he's going to do about the wickedness. And, he, and he, what he expects of a priest and a teacher of the Torah. 
Now, many translations will show um, in chapter 2, instruction, instruction, instruction. The TS 2009, the scriptures 2009, actually renders it as Torah. And I think that's a really important point to make, that this isn't just general instructions. These priests were priests, and we have evidence of that and how they corrupted that covenant in this chapter. And it, gets, it really drives home just how far off base these priests had wandered. Malachi 2, chapter 1 through 9. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you do not hear, and if you do not take it to heart, to give esteem to my name, says Yahweh of hosts, then I shall send a curse upon you, and I shall curse your blessings. Indeed, I have cursed them, because you do not take it to heart. See, I shall rebuke your seed, and scatter dung before your faces, and dung of your festivals, and it shall, you shall be taken away with it. And you shall know that I have sent this command to you as being my covenant with Levi, says Yahweh of hosts. My covenant with him was life and peace. I gave them to him to fear, and he feared me and stood in awe of my name. The Torah of truth was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and straightness, And turn many away from crookedness. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge. They should, and they seek the Torah from his mouth. For he is the messenger of Yahweh of hosts. But you, you have turned from, turned from the way. You have caused many to stumble in the Torah. And you have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says Yahweh of hosts. And I also shall make you despised and low before the people, because you are not guarding my ways and are showing partiality in the Torah. Yahweh's bringing a curse upon these priests and teachers who acted in the way described in chapter 1. Yahweh demands that they take this to heart, internalize what he's saying, and make a change. And I don't think Yahweh would do this. If these were just some random wicked priest that had infiltrated the group, and we're just being bad. I don't think Yahweh is giving them a way out here. He's explaining the covenant of Levi as one of life and goodness and righteousness. It helps people on the way, how it was supposed to be. Yahweh's asking them to take that to heart, this covenant that he had with Levi. This is a good, life-bringing covenant, and these people have thrown it away. And not just thrown it away, they've actively worked against it. And if they don't bring it, they bring it all home and internalize it, he's going to curse them. And it's not some little curse. It's not like, oh, hey, your crops are going to die. It's a, and that's a big one. They will be despised, and their children will be despised. And they will be taken away like dung. Now, that's not something that, uh, that's, that's awful. That's awful. From verses 4 and 7, we see, 4 through 7, excuse me. We see that Yahweh had a covenant with the house of Levi. Yahweh explains the blessings of that covenant and describes how a noble and righteous priest is to act. And it looks to me like the Levites had, I mean, you you can't corrupt something without having something there to corrupt. So this was a good thing that had been corrupted and turned wicked. The Levites had forgotten their role and Yahweh is not happy 
about the state of his people or their worship. And it sounds to me like the house of Levi was kind of the, 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 the gold standard for his people. Like these are the ones who act, they act especially good. And they are the light for the rest of, of the tribes. These are the ones that they follow. They teach, they teach the Torah. They show how things operate in the temple. They know what a good sacrifice is. And so when you have that blown out of proportion and it's all wrong, then it's no wonder everything's off kilter. The house of Levi stood on Torah. Levi preached the Torah in righteousness and was impartial with his judgments. Unlike these wicked people, who caused others to stumble in the Torah. Yahweh says in verse 9, And I also shall make you despised and low before all people, because you are not guarding my ways and are showing partiality in that Torah. These people not only shamed Yahweh's name with their wicked offerings, they were improperly teaching his word and causing more to stumble. And if they were being impartial when applying the Torah because of these things, I mean, that, that's, that's it. When the judges, when you lose the judges, when you lose the ones that are the bearers of the law that are supposed to be impartial and, and doling out judgment and righteousness, that's a steep climb back up that hill. In verses 10 through 17, Yahweh is explaining, moves on from Levi. Levi got his. Now it's Judah's turn. <laughs> Levi, or excuse me, in verses 10 through 17, Yahweh explains how Judah profaned the marriage covenant. And these people are driving a wedge in Yahweh's family. Malachi 2, verses 10 through 17. Have we not all one father? Has not one Elohim created us? And why do we deal treacherously with one another? By profaning the covenant of the fathers. Judah has dealt treacherously. And an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned Yahweh's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign mighty one. May Yahweh cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet brings an offering to Yahweh of hosts. Now it continues, but that right there is a key. Here you have, you know, Yahweh is very explicit over in Deuteronomy, which I'll get to, about, you know, don't go off after these other nations. Don't marry into these other nations. It's not a good idea. The house of Judah did so, and not only that, then they turned around and were giving offerings. And it was just unacceptable. It goes on. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of Yahweh with tears, with weeping and with crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. But you say, for what reason? Because Yahweh has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having the remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks righteous offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. <coughs> Excuse me. There's a lot here. There's a lot here for those folks who are married. It says, and why one? Why one wife? It tells you why it's good to have one wife right here. He seeks righteous offspring. If you've got a multitude of wives, and there's a, I don't, I can't remember. It's been a while since he's called me, but I got a guy he calls and he says, polygamy, that's the way. 
Now that I've read through Malachi and studied it, I'm going to point him to this one because it says right here, why one? Why does Yahweh assign one? Because that's how you get righteous children, righteous offspring. Therefore, take heed with your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For Yahweh Elohim of Israel says, he that hates divorce, it says that he hates divorce, excuse me, for it covers one's garment with violence, says Yahweh of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and do not do that and do not deal treacherously. <clears throat> you have wearied Yahweh with your words, yet you say, in what way have we wearied? There they go again. In what way have we wearied him? <laughs> and you say, everyone that does evil is good in the eyes of Yahweh, in the sight of Yahweh, and he delights in them. Or where is the Elohim of justice? So here you have Yahweh. Yahweh is the Elohim of justice. They know this. And they say, everyone who, is, who does evil is good in the eyes of Yahweh. Here we go again. Everything is flipped upside down compared to where it should be. Yahweh doesn't delight in wickedness. He hates wickedness. He doesn't delight in those who do evil. He hates those who do evil. He says it over and over and over again in his word. But these people who have taken charge in Malachi, no, 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 no. All those things that you thought you knew, you don't know those. Evil is good and good is evil. There's somebody who said something about woe to those people. I'm being facetious. It's it's Isaiah who says that. But um, they've forgotten their first love. Talking about the house of Judah and married the daughters of heathen Elohim. Something Yahweh forbade in Deuteronomy 7 through 4. Yahweh does not want the offerings from these people. He does not want to hear them weep and sob because Yahweh is not accepting these offerings. Imagine that. they're, They're covering his altar with tears and they're weeping because Yahweh is not giving, he's not accepting their sacrifices. And, and Yahweh says, like, are you kidding me? You, you, you've got my altar, you're weeping all over my altar, over this, and you guys are bringing it on yourself. Judah had left the wife of their youth and their first love to go after these other mighty ones. This is, I feel, a, both a physical representation and a spiritual one because this happens constantly in the scriptures. Israel constantly goes after these other mighty ones. And I feel like this is kind of like a physical representation of these people leaving their wives for these other women of uh, other nations. Yahweh's demanding that these people repent and stop dealing so wickedly and treacherously. Not only with him as a creator in their Elohim, but with their own people as they all share the common promise. Yahweh warns these people who knowingly break the marriage covenant to not even bring an offering to Yahweh. He doesn't want it. Malachi ends chapter 2 by telling these wicked people that Yahweh is tired of their words about those who do evil who are actually good and that he actually delights in their wickedness. That food you're offering is supposed to be disgusting. Bring the worst you got. That's what he wants. He loves wickedness. I mean, these people were completely backwards. This is obviously nonsense. And also, there's another common sentiment we see today. Evil is good. Good is evil. I mean, there's truly nothing new under the sun. I mean, you could... You could chapter 3... Yahweh warns, now that he's done, he's done pointing out all the obvious issues. Well, for the most part. 
Yahweh warns of a coming messenger who will clear the way for Yahweh. This messenger will refine the sons of Levi and clean them to bring them to a place where Yahweh will accept the offerings. After that, then the food offering from Judah and these people will be acceptable. Notice that it's never, it never ends on a truly desperate, bleak note when Yahweh's dealing with his people. There's always a way out. Always a way out. And that's hopeful. That's hopeful. I mean, I see how crazy and just absolutely debased this world is we live in now. But I like to think if there was a book written about these times that it would end with a hopeful note. Malachi 3, 1 through 4. Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says Yahweh of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to Yahweh an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to Yahweh, as in the days of old, as in the former years. You ever long for the yesteryear, you know, those days when everything seemed better? Don't worry, Yahweh does too. You're not alone. It does seem like things were, things were better than the olden days, right? Yahweh pines for those days too when his people are worthy to come before him because he wants us before him. He yearns to have us before him. That's the culmination of everything is for us to be with him. So I'm going to try to... Uh, be as concise about this as I possibly can. And there's a couple things I'm going to skip over in chapter 3. In verses 5 and 6, I don't have it up on the screen, Yahweh promises to judge the sorcerers, the adulterers, the liars, the extorters, those who turn away the widow and the fatherless and the foreigner and for those who do not fear him. Yahweh then explains something that I think is over, not overlooked, maybe not here, but in a lot of places I feel like it's overlooked. Yahweh goes on to promise, <clears throat> or he goes on to say, rather, that it is only because he does not change or go back on his promises that the sons of Jacob are not destroyed. Yet we'll hear today that he's changed. All that stuff, all that, that's old. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about that. That's all old. Don't, we're under something completely different now. He doesn't change until he does, is what they tell you. But Yahweh goes on to promise if Israel would just simply return, then he will return to them. It seems simple enough. Verse 8 is a pretty well-known scripture, and we use it to explain why we tithe. But we have to remember the context of this stuff here which I do think it is a good reason to tithe, what it says here. But we have to remember that these people were not offering anything that Yahweh wanted. The offering, they were offering garbage on his own is often not enough. It's, it's all about the heart. Is it a pure offering? Yahweh doesn't want the lint out of your pockets. You know what I mean? That doesn't, it's better to give nothing. He says so. 
It's better to just don't bother. Just be as obedient as you possibly can. And if you get the creator of the universe, he'll catch on. That's what these people were trying to do. And these priests, I don't know how. I would like to know some more backstory about these priests, how they got to where they were. Because it seems completely unfathomable that it would happen this way. It just seems, how crazy does it have to get? So verse 10 goes on to say that the people who were bringing, that bring these offerings, proper offerings, that there will be food in the storehouse. And the people that, the stuff that people have been given, there hasn't been a proper offering in so long that there wasn't food in the storehouse. That should be an indicator. You've got all these people bringing offerings and none of it's even worth eating. So much so that there was not food in the storehouse. That's a problem. So what happens if they do these things? You know, Yahweh says that he will, he will open up the windows of heaven. So much so that it can't contain all the blessings that he'll pour out. See, again, Yahweh is, he is right there. He wants so badly for his people just to do these things. He's right there waiting. He's got the handout with the blessing in it, waiting for it. And all you have to do is just reach up the right way to take it. Yahweh also promises to rebuke the destroyer and the devourer so that your crops won't be ravaged and your grapes don't die and things like that. And all nations will call them blessed, as opposed to what he said before, that the nations will disdain them and hate them and throw them out like dung. If you stay on Yahweh's good side, he'll cause you to be on the good side of everyone around you. In verses 13 to 15, we're going to jump back in. We see Yahweh then reminds them of their strong words towards him. This thing, there it is. Your words have been harsh against me. So uh, another layer. Not only have they been telling the people to bring bad offerings and they themselves have been falsifying the Torah and everything else, but they're also speaking against Yahweh with their words. Your words have been harsh against me, says Yahweh. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? And these people, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is useless to serve Elohim. What profit is it that we keep his ordinances and that we have walked as mourners before Yahweh of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt Elohim and go free. He reminds them that these priests have said not only is doing evil good, but that is actually useless to do what Yahweh says. And that it, what profit is there for us to have kept his charge? Now, that sounds awfully familiar to me. You don't, that, it's pointless to keep all those laws, all those commandments. And what difference does it make? The Sabbath, Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Thursday, it doesn't matter. Just do what you want. They tell you that it's pointless. They tell you that it is fruitless. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance? Even, even their attitude towards that is off. They're looking, well, what's in it for me? What's in it for me to keep these things? He always telling them what's in it for them, but they weren't listening. And then... They're calling arrogant and proud people blessed. 
that these wicked people, they're not only proud, but they're so bold in so much that they've started to test Yahweh and escape. And they think they can get away with anything. This is a big thing I think we see. The wicked essentially boasting that Yahweh can do nothing to them. They defy him and nothing happens. I mean, I could understand why people get frustrated. That's how it seems on the surface, right? You know, we see these wicked people, they're parading all over the place. Waiting for a bolt of lightning to fall down on them. But it doesn't happen. Why? Why doesn't that happen? Second Peter 3, verse 9. Yahweh is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. These people have mistaken Yahweh's patience with passivity. Yahweh will come to collect, and he would rather that none would perish. Perish. But people like the ones we're reading about, sadly, they see, their, they see benevolence as wickedness, and instead they scoff at the idea of repentance. And I really think that that speaks to the character of the father more than anything else, more than the indignation and the rage he has towards Edom. It's the fact that here we have these people whom Yahweh loves absolutely going 100% against Yahweh. And these wicked people are tempting him and escaping. And they take that as a sign of, I can do whatever I want. But it's really breaking Yahweh's heart to see it because he wants them to come back. He doesn't want anyone, including the jerk running around, tempting him. He doesn't want him to perish. He doesn't want any of that. And that's like really something. And then to have it all thrown back in your face the way that they did. It's just, it's heartbreaking. Chapter 3 ends with the book of remembrance being written. Now we're starting to get into something that's like, hey, silver lining. (laughs) Yahweh laid it on pretty heavy in this one. Chapter 3 ends with the book of remembrance being written. Those who fear Yahweh and esteem his name will be shown pity as the father who pities his son. And then verse 18 closes with, then you shall see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between him who serves Elohim and him who does not serve him. So I think this is like when Yahweh inevitably comes to collect. When that bell finally rings and the round is over, then Yahweh will then everyone will see the difference between the righteous and the wicked because it'll be unavoidable. The judgment of the righteous and the wicked will be something that every single person that has ever lived on this planet will experience. That's when they're going to see the difference between the righteous and the wicked and it will be Unimaginable. Then you shall see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between him who serves and him who does not. Ah, what's the point? It's, not, it's fruitless. It's useless. That brings no profit to us. What difference does it make? Right there, that's the difference it makes. When it all finally comes to fruition, that's when everything matters. Chapter 4 is very short. It ends this book on a very powerful warning, and ultimately the promise of blessing of those who fear his name and walk in accordance to his word and Torah and law and things like that. So, uh, that's not right. 
doesn't matter. Go to the next one. There it is. For behold, a day is coming, burning like a fire pot, and all the proud and every doer of wickedness shall be chaff. And the coming day will set them ablaze, says Yahweh of hosts, which shall not leave root or branches to them. But you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise, and healing shall be in his, on his wings. And you shall go out and frisk like calves at the stall of the stall, and you shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day which I am preparing, says Yahweh of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded to him in Horeb for all Israel, the statutes and the judgments. Behold, I am sending you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of Yahweh. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the hearts of the sons to the fathers, that I not come and strike the earth with utter destruction. I feel like out of Malachi, the one, the verse that I feel everybody takes away from this one is that last one. Sons, the hearts of the sons to the fathers and the fathers to the sons. And they don't seem to address really anything else in here. And first of all, I want to address something. Elephant in the room with this last one here. Son of righteousness, what is that? S-U-N, that's what it says. Well, there's a couple instances when we have things like Yahweh or Yeshua or things like that addressed as a celestial body. It's not uncommon in, in the Hebrew thought. And Psalm 82.11 says that Yahweh is a sun and a shield. And I think it's just saying that Yahweh is our light and our defense. And the son of righteousness is one of many times we see, again, an object like that used to portray Yahweh or even Yeshua, the bright and morning star, things like that. The righteous will ultimately tread over the wicked, and they will be removed like ashes, as long as we remember the Torah of Moses, Yahweh's servant. Elijah has promised to bring a great and dreadful day of Yahweh, and the hearts of the fathers will be turned to the sons, and the sons back to the fathers. Well, why? Well, because if we do not, then there will be... Think about this. Yahweh made a promise, right? Part of that promise is there's punishment for falling away. And if there's no one here to save, then it would be utter destruction. If we do not turn to the, if we don't turn to our fathers and the sons, the vice versa, if we don't do that, utter destruction would fall on the earth. And it's only in Yahweh's patience, not passivity, patience, that we are spared from total calamity. Probably never heard anybody talk about Malachi for this long. But there's a boatload of information in Malachi. Even if it is four short chapters. And I pray that this message has opened your eyes to Malachi, to the message that he, that he so desperately delivered to these wicked people. And never forget, I got a little something to help you remember. I typed it in all caps. Remember. Always fear Yahweh. Yahweh is not slow. He's patient. Give Yahweh your best. Honor his name. And that's one more thing I really want to touch on before I get down from here. How much talk about reverence for his name and the lack of reverence for his name did Yahweh go over again and again and again and again? They did these things to spite him. This says they hated his name. 
They hated it. Honor his name and repent and return to him. He doesn't want anyone, even the person who walks around bragging that they've got Yahweh beat, he does not want that person to perish. He wants them to repent. He wants them to subject themselves to Yahshua, accept him, and repent. So I pray that this has been a blessing to you. I pray that you have a deeper understanding and appreciation of Malachi. I've only got a couple more of these minor prophets that I have to hit. I'll get there eventually. <laughs> it's just, it's got to, it, inspiration's got to strike. And so that's what it took so long for this one. I've got people coming up, oh, you need to talk about this. You need to talk about that. It's just like, whew. I'm only on here once every six weeks. And I like it like that, Randy. So don't, so don't leave it like that. Thank you.